0: We are studying the book of Ruth uh, for a few weeks here, so if you have a Bible, it's a little Old Testament book tucked away. You can look in the table of contents if that's cheating. Uh, look, and we're going to start in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. Or if you have the Bible on an app, you can slide there, and uh, we're going to study this great book. But I want to start talking about uh, the state track meet. So if I say track meet, for some of you, that immediately sends shudders of fear. Maybe from your junior high days when you had to run track. I used to hate track. I always thought you're either born good at track or you're not. Like you can't, you can't jump higher. That was my bias against track. So And then as a parent, sometimes track meet means, particularly like in junior high, like you could be in a cold bleacher from four in the afternoon till nine to watch your kid run twice for like 30 seconds. And the rest of the time, you're just there to suffer. So Know those words can send just sh- you know just shockwaves around the room, but yesterday at the state track meet. Uh, two West High teams did really well. The guys and the gals both got second in state. That's amazing. And then Mid-Prairie, we got some Mid-Prairie folks in the house. Like, they got first for the girls and second for the guys. Like, that is really cool. And so what's awesome about track is that as you, if you know some of the athletes, you know some of the backstory behind them. Like, for example, there's a guy that did really well at West High this year that his freshman year just went out for track and almost quit. Like, just almost just gave up track and he's got one of the top times nationally in his event like you just think wow that could have gone a whole different direction if he would have just quit track you know and then uh, my daughter has a friend that it seemed like she ran so well this weekend but she always got second like which is amazing because when you know the backstory in this gal that had to fight through some different just physical things and leg injuries and do you quit and do you keep going but just to see what happens when you push through adversity it's just those are really inspiring stories that you can hear so the same is true with the Christian faith. Like a lot of times in the Bible, our faith is equated with, with running or with, with a race. And so really the big question in this room this morning is, you know, where will we be in this race of following Jesus, like in five years and ten years? And if there's something that's going to derail us, it's going to be this thing we call adversity. Adversity is something that's par for the course if you are following Jesus. But I think with our American mindset of Christianity, a lot of times we think that if we start following Jesus, it's going to be easy for us. It's going to be good. It's going to be simple. Like he's just going to take care of everything for us. So, if I follow Jesus, I'll get good grades. I'll get people to date. I'll get, uh, I'll I'll get somebody to marry. We'll have kids. Our kids will be successful. I'll have a good job. I'll, you know, I'll like my job. Like I'll be healthy. Like all those things. We almost treat like Jesus, like he's our genie. Like we just rub the bottle and then there he is. And we just give him our three wishes. And then our life is easy and simple and good and comfortable. Um, but I would say that's more of an American mindset of Christianity. In fact, if you just look at the Bible itself, like the men and women who follow Jesus often faced just major adversity. Uh, John the Baptist, for example, is the guy that Jesus said, uh, he's the greatest man that's ever walked on this planet. And what happened to him for that? He got beheaded, okay? So 11 of the 12 followers of Christ called disciples were killed because they followed Jesus. So you just look throughout there and you just see, like for example, the Bible says, for to you it has been granted not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. Now you don't see a lot of precious moments, you know, big-eyed kids with that verse on there hanging in many of these kids' nurseries these days, right? So you just don't see that. But what also is awesome in the Bible is when you look at the lives of these people They gave their lives for Jesus. None of them did it like with an arm behind their back. You must follow Jesus. Oh, I hate this. This is horrible. Like it's the exact opposite. That when they encounter Jesus, when they encounter the living God through Jesus, like it's the ultimate no-brainer. Like Paul is one of those guys, a follower of Jesus, who said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, Jesus is way greater than anything this world will say is easy or comfortable. And so that's, that's intriguing for us because, again, our mindset is it's going to be easy, it's going to be simple. And the Bible square up and says, no, it's, it's going to be tough there's going to be adversity, but it is going to be absolutely amazing. And the reason is, is that God isn't so much like we rub the little Jesus genie bottle. It's not like God is looking for a story to write. Here, God, here's a story you could write about me, and it's going to be easy and simple and good. It's like God will kind of look at my story and in a nice way, just kind of crumble it up and say, you know what, Doug, I got a better story. And it's a story about how I am breaking into a broken world to bring redemption and to bring new life and Doug actually I would love to write you into the story like I would like to have you be a player and be used in this story what do you think and so that's that's what's before all of us today. And when we study the book of Ruth, it's really an interesting chance to glimpse into three real people's lives and see how they interacted with adversity and how they interacted with the invitation to be a part of God's story and not just their story, all right? So let me just catch us up with where we were last week. So again, we're going to start in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 but what we saw in the verse 18 verses we were seeing the beginning of a beautiful love story and there are three main characters there's a bitter kind of older mother-in-law named Naomi there is Ruth who is a foreign-born widow who is a peasant girl and then there is a wealthy landowner landowner named Boaz Isn't that a cool name Boaz it means strength like it just sounds strong Boaz so What we saw last week is that Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, about 10 years before where we're going to jump in the story today, 10 years before left Bethlehem where God's people lived because there was a famine and they moved to a country called Moab, which was about as far from God as you could get, a people who had traditionally mistreated God's people, a place where another God was worshipped, a god named Chemosh, and where there was just hatred for God and his people. For some reason, they chose to live in that land for 10 years. And while they were away, Naomi's husband died and her two sons died. And so and in those 10 years, just deep hardship in Naomi's life. But then she heard that God had visited his people again and that there was a, 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 a rich uh, harvest and there was food again. So almost in an act of turning back to God, Naomi starts starts walking back to Bethlehem. Now at this time she has two daughters-in-law with her and so she tried to talk to them. Do not, they were both from Moabite, so said you don't need to come back with me to my country. You would be a foreigner and there's just animosity between our people. It'd be really hard for you to live there. And so one of the daughters-in-law stayed but this one named Ruth committed her life to Naomi and follow Naomi back to Bethlehem. Okay, so that's where we pick up the story. We're in verse 19, and it says that the two of them, so Ruth and Naomi, uh, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So a couple of things here. Some of these are cultural and they just fly right past us. But as Naomi is walking back into Bethlehem, the gate of the city was like the main thoroughfare. It's like where everything was, where everything happened, business and people hanging out. And so uh, there was no Facebook at that day, but just walking through the gate was very publicly putting yourself on display. And you can imagine Naomi, there just had to be a range of emotion that the last time she was in that gate, she was leaving that gate with her husband and two sons and now she's coming back to that gate just missing her husband and sons maybe there's an element of shame as she's coming back to god and his people and then on top of that you just have the rumor mill just flying is that naomi is that naomi is that you know and so after 10 years of being away people weren't sure who is is that it looks like naomi is that who that is who's that woman with her and so you just, that's just got to be, all of this is just weighing on, on Naomi. And so, all this name thing, I wanted you to fill in on. When they said, Is this Naomi? The word Naomi means pleasant. Is this pleasant? Is this like, It is well? It is good? And that's why she snapped at them and said, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. And the word Mara meant bitter. Like, I, it is not well with me. It is not pleasant with me. I am bitter right now and so that's what's going on right here as you see Ruth and Naomi returning to Bethlehem so I'll have to admit it is absolutely it is hard for me to just sit here and point fingers at Naomi she has been through a lot but what I want us to do for a couple minutes is talk about what does the Bible say that we do when we go through adversity and really there's two options one is called lament and then one is called bitterness all right and so you see this throughout the Bible. The, the call to lament means it really has three different parts to it. That, that, um, and you'll see this throughout the Psalms. You'll see this in, in, in guys like Elijah and other biblical characters, that when they face adversity, there's a real, real biblical pattern of responding to that that's called lament. It's an it's a, um, honest, authentic expression of hurt and disappointment. But it's also grounded in the truth that God is good and that God is still with me. And so there's three parts to it. One is, is crying out to God. And so write down Psalm 86. Like if we had all afternoon together, we could do a a study of Psalm 86 because it's a great picture of a psalm of lament. But, But step one in lament is crying out to God. Some of the phrases from Psalm 86 are things like this. God, arrogant foes are attacking me. God, ruthless people are trying to kill me. And they have no regard for you. So it's being honest before God. It's putting out your situation. God, it's really hard. Look what's happening at work. God, look what my neighbors are doing. God, look how my kids are responding. Like just whatever the hardship is, you just honestly put it before God. That is way more authentic than uh, just slapping a smiley face on. Oh, it's good. We're inside like you're getting worked up, but on the outside to pretend like it's all good. Or maybe some of this is new language for you this morning that maybe you didn't know that when you pray, you don't have to come all cleaned up and tidied up. Like you don't have to come in all your perfect attitude with God. Like, because it's it's weird. Sometimes we think that and we only talk to God if we've got it together. But actually God knows we don't, right? He knows our heart. And he would much rather us come. Like Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. He didn't say, come to me when you get your act together. Like, I I just want to see you when you're in a good mood. Like, he said, no, if you are hurt, if there is adversity in your life, you just come and lay it before him. That's That's authentic prayer, okay? So that's part of lament is you cry out to God. And then the next part is that you ask him for help. Okay, some of the phrases from Psalm 86, God, turn to me. God, have mercy on me. God, hear me. That's pretty basic. But how many times have you been in adversity where you feel like you've been asking God, asking God, asking God, and he's not responding like it seems like, and you just say, God, are you hearing me? God, would you please hear me? So it's very basic. It's rudimentary. It's like, God, just help me, hear me, listen to me, answer me, God. Uh, because I am poor and needy. God, you are my God. Have mercy on me. Those are all phrases from Psalm 86, and it's crying out for help. But then the key part to lament is this last part. It's responding in trust and praise. Listen to some of the statements from Psalm 86. You, Lord, are forgiving and good. God, you are abounding in love to all who call you. Teach me your way that I can rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart so that I can fear your name. So I know in this church there are many who have faced much more adversity than I have. But I can tell you that in the adversity that I have faced, when this has been my approach to that adversity, There is a much different way that my life is going after that, even in the midst of adversity. If I have those regular moments where I'm being honest with God, where I'm just crying out for help and leaving that time with just statements of confidence and assurance. And I do way better continuing through that adversity than if I take the other path. And so what 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 I'm calling us to as a church this morning is not to not to assume there will be no adversity because there will be. But when you face adversity, Can you just face it genuinely? Like so many of the psalmists, so many of the people who model lament for us, you cry out to God, ask for help, and then respond with trust and praise. Kind of the flip side of that is what we see in Naomi right now. And again, please, I don't want to throw Naomi under a bus because I could show you a highlight reel of my life and adversity. And I look like Naomi a lot of times, like it's easy to go bitter instead of with lament. All right. But if we could just dissect a little bit what what Naomi doing right here. So first of all, uh, she is ignoring the truth. All right, she, I don't know if you caught this, but a couple of times, God is referred to as the Almighty, the Almighty. That was the Hebrew name Shaddai. She's saying Shaddai has dealt with me. So she's saying the powerful God, the sovereign God is dealing with me right now. She intentionally didn't use the name Yahweh, which is the covenant-keeping God, the God of loving kindness. Basically, she's saying God is great, but he sure isn't good right now. So she's talking about God in ways that are not true. She is ignoring the truth. Second, she's blaming God, all right? And again, if you have a friend that's in the middle of bitterness, it's probably not good to just pull out my notes and start preaching at them. I mean, there's times you just have to be gracious and kind of let that vent. But like when there's time to speak truth back, like there's, there might have been a place here to say, hey, Naomi, you know what, though? Like, do you think like maybe it wasn't the wisest? for you and Elimelech to leave God for 10 years, like to go to a place where he wasn't, you know, is, is is this all God? Like, it seemed like everybody else stayed in Bethlehem and you guys left. Like what, you know, could there be some connection? Again, very gently, you know, drop that right away. But, but again, she was blaming God completely. And the last one is that she's pushing people away. And I can, I can understand the crowds and all the little, that had to be really annoying, but, but to walk back into the city, with Ruth right next to you and say, I'm coming back empty handed. Like, whoa, she, you know, if Ruth can be amazing here. Like Ruth said, what do you mean, big, You know, empty handed like that could have been Ruth going off right there. And as you're gonna see in the rest of the story, Ruth is an amazing blessing to Naomi that she's just totally overlooking. And so many times when we're in adversity, it's so easy for us to just kind of push the people away that actually God has put right in our lives to walk through that with us. All right. So here's why this is a big deal. Not just, maybe you've seen yourself go through adversity with both paths. I mean, one, it's just way more healthy to go the path of lament. But I could say as a whole movement of Christians, you could have two different kinds of people. I am so fired up by people who face adversity and do it with the style of lament. Like they're honest, they put it out there, but their hope and confidence is in God. Man, that that fires me up, right? So, but the opposite can happen too. Are you around ever just people are just constantly bitter and just blaming God and just pushing, man, it just sucks energy out of a movement, okay? So may God call us to be a people and to be families uh, who are just honest and lament before God, but man, we go strong in the face of adversity. And so why that's important is now we're going to kind of turn a page in the story of Ruth and Naomi, because God is doing something amazing here. But right now, Ruth has no, or Naomi has no idea about that. And if we are open as we're going through our adversity, then we are open then for God to, to start using us and to start, because it's really weird, but just in a couple weeks from now, these same people around Bethlehem are going to be just singing God's praise for what he did for Naomi. It's going to be powerful. So if you look now at, we're going to look now at Ruth and Boaz. Okay, so we took a little look at Naomi. We're just going to be able to start looking at Ruth and Boaz this morning. We'll pick up on that and some more next week. But a much better way of responding to adversity is really modeled for us by both Ruth and Boaz. Okay, so let's hit Ruth first. Go to verse 22, chapter 1. It says that Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And then if you jump to Ruth 2, verse 2, it says that Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And so she set out and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. Okay, let's just pause for a second. Ruth has her own share of hardship, right? She's been widowed. Now she is in a foreign land where she could be totally the object of racism, discrimination, abuse. She has no protection besides a very poor, very elderly, very bitter mother-in-law. That's her only defense. And yet you see in her just a real excitement, like almost just a courageous willingness to just step out and risk it. So here's what's going on. Ruth somewhere in her life, and just recently, has begun to put her trust in the loving kindness of God. She took a risk. And so if you remember from last week, one of the most beautiful sections of the Bible is when Ruth said to Naomi, remember Naomi said, stay here, don't come with me. She said, no, I will go where you go. Your people will be my people. And then she said, your God will be my God. And she used the word Yahweh. Your loving, kind, uh, covenant-keeping God is now my God. And so that is awesome because if you remember, Ruth was a Moabite and they used to worship a God named Chemosh. And Chemosh meant the God who subdues, the God who destroys, and the God who requires child sacrifices for him to be worshipped. She left that understanding for God to now follow the true God, who is the God of loving kindness, the God who is loyal to his people. And you got to ask, where did she learn that? And last week, we conjectured that it may have been Naomi that taught her some things about God. But here's another thing. When you read the Old Testament, there were times where people from other countries were in awe of the God of Israel. There was a woman named Rahab that lived in a city called Jericho. And when God was going to give Jericho to his people, they sent spies to Jericho. And this woman named Rahab told the spies, listen, our people are so afraid of your God. Like, your your God is strong, and your God, we saw what he did. He got you guys out of Egypt. He led you guys through the wilderness. He's bringing you into the promised land. Like, we are, we're shaking in our boots right now. And so, and so she heard the stories. And how amazing, like, for years, it may have been Ruth on the outside hearing these stories of this God who is so powerful and good to his people. And now she's not like one of those outsiders looking at that God. She's now on the team. And so I get the sense now with Ruth. that there's a brand new chance for her to use like the opportunities of being on this team. Like, man, the covenant-keeping God is with me? This is awesome. Let's put this to practice. Like, let's go into this foreign land where I'm a foreigner, where I could be a subject of discrimination, racism, abuse. Man, let's just go because God's a covenant-keeping God. He's going to be good to me. And so, again, we culturally... Miss through uh, just a lot of things she was going through, but by her asking Naomi, Let me go glean in the fields. What she's saying is, Let me leave the city walls, let me leave the protection, as little as it is, of being in your presence. Let me just go out there and let me glean some food for us. They're probably starving, these guys are really poor, and so and so there she goes, encouraged, just willing to go because the covenant keeping God was with her. Guys, I got this, there's something fresh about being around somebody that just understands the gospel, that we need a slap in the face. Like some of us that have been around this God stuff for a while, we can forget this, the freshness, the energy, the way God is calling us to risk it for him. That's exactly what Ruth is doing. And may that kind of be a wake-up call to us this morning. Like when's the last time that you just stepped out and risked obeying God, just knowing that he's going to be good and faithful to you, even if it's a hard risk that he's calling you to take? That's what Ruth is modeling for. So she didn't go bitter. Uh, she trusted God. and She took steps of risk. Now let's meet um, this last guy. Let's meet this guy named Boaz. And so verse 1, chapter 2, we're introduced to Boaz before he even comes on the stage, okay, into the story. But chapter 2, verse 1 says that Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. All right, so his, his name means strong. He was a wealthy landowner. He was a man of high character, and he was related to Naomi. That's a huge piece in this puzzle, that as a relative, he could now step in and meet their earthly, financial, physical needs, all right? So that's a little just drop that the narrator puts in to the story to introduce us to Boaz. Uh, And so now we pick up more about Boaz in in verse 3. So chapter 2, verse 3, it says that Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. There's the connection again, family relative. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab, and she said, please let me, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And so now Boaz steps into our story, and he, in the backdrop of this culture and of this time, this is like a knight in shining armor, just kind of stepping out. You know, from the darkness, from the cloud, steps this man. It's almost too good to be true right he's wealthy he's powerful and he's noble he's worthy in character he just steps out into the story i mean there's so many just authentic things here hebrew writers a lot of times don't make statements about a person's character they'll let him appear in a story and so what you're seeing appear here about boaz is did you notice like when he started talking to his workers I mean, God's a natural part of his conversation. Hey, the Lord bless you. Oh, the Lord greets you too. It's not like he's throwing out some religious cliche and they're going, oh, that guy's weird. Like this was a normal part of his leadership and his relationship with his workers. He had God front and center in his life. Did you notice too that he was obedient to God, that God in his law told landowners that um, when you plant your field, have the corners of your field be unharvested so the poor could come and reap and have food to eat. And when you pass through your field, if you leave some behind, don't go back and pick those up. Leave those there so that the poor can come and glean. And the reason when God made those commands, it's always because I have been gracious to you. Or I was gracious to my people, Israel, when they were in captivity in Egypt. So, so you see Boaz reflecting the compassionate heart of God towards the poor. And the other thing you notice is that Boaz even noticed Ruth, okay? So let's pause for a second. There will be romance in this story later, but don't just right now think, Ruth, uh, that uh, Boaz just saw a hot young woman and now he's caring for her. Like That's not what's going on right here. What you see here is a man that's amazing that a guy of his influence, a guy of his wealth, would even notice a need. Like in, in most situations, a guy like Boaz would just go right by oblivious to the needs around him. It's the exact opposite with this man. He just right on, spots on to and to, 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 to Ruth. Like, who is this woman? Like, who's her protector? Why is she here? Like, what's, what's her story? And so immediately he's caring for somebody who really is far beneath him in so many ways, socially and economically, uh, even racially, just so far beneath him. Yeah, he sees her need, he's drawn to her need uh, immediately. And so, and so what's really awesome here is that you see that Boaz is really reflecting what it looks like to be a person who walks in relationship with God. In fact, um, what if we were just trying to summarize what just happened in the story of Ruth. So into our story now steps a man who is righteous, who is powerful, who is wealthy, who's generous, and who notices the needs of the people around him. And so the key, this is important, that anytime you're reading an Old Testament story, is to not. the key of this story is not to elevate Boaz and to elevate Ruth. What we do as we study this story is we look at the true hero behind this story. And the hero behind this story is the God, is the Yahweh God who, is, who shows loving kindness to his people and who is committed to his people in his covenant relationship with them. So God is the hero here. And I don't know, did you notice um, one time it said that Ruth just happened upon Boaz's field. Like, literally in the Hebrew, it just says, oh, by chance, she just happened to, and it's kind of even a tongue-in-cheek expression. What it's saying is, are you noticing all the factors that are just coming together for Ruth here? Let me just summarize it. They returned to Bethlehem. It was barley harvest, right? She just happened to go out into a field, and it happened to be Boaz's field. Let's pause on this. If If you were to leave the city gates of Bethlehem, the fields wouldn't have been like, there wouldn't be big signs like, Boaz's field, you know, John's field, you would have just seen a big, vast plot of land with all these little stones marking out boundaries. And the chances of her knowing where she was going were so small, she just picked a field and started gleaning there. And it just so happened to be Boaz's. It just so happened to be a relative of the family. Uh, Even this, it just so happened that Boaz happened to be going by. He had many fields. He had many areas he could have been supervising, but just All these things lined up. It just so happened. What you really see is that behind the scenes, God is continuing to write his story. It's a very beautiful story where he is caring for the needs of these characters, Ruth and Boaz. But he's writing a grander narrative, again, to um, uh, spoiler alert coming up for us, is that Ruth is going to be one of, you know, one of her descendants is going to be Jesus Christ. And so he's painting a grand, God is painting a grander story, but he's stepping into this small story of Ruth and Boaz to meet their needs. But they are actually part of a bigger story. So that really means when God is writing a story, there's no just... Uh, chance. There's no small situation, small decision. There's no people that are not important and others that are important. God will use every circumstance, every decision, every relationship, every person to write His amazing story. And so that's true for us as well. So remember, like we've said earlier, we're invited into God's story. We're invited to be characters in that story. So, and that's true for all of us because. One who is far greater than Boaz, has stepped into our lives. One who is righteous, one who is powerful, one who is wealthy, one who is generous, one who notices the needs of people far beneath him, and that's Jesus Christ. That's the descendant of Ruth who steps into our lives, and it's through Jesus today, you guys, that we are invited into a relationship with this God who shows loving kindness to his people, God who is committed to his people. And then it's through Jesus Christ that we get to be a part of God's story. That our adversity is not the end of our story, but the adversity is a chance for us to trust God to use us to do great things through us. The New Testament kind of summarizes it like this. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And then 2 Corinthians 9, this is written by Paul, one of those followers of Jesus that sacrificed so much, but yet gained so much that he wouldn't make a trade to live as Christ to die his gain. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase the store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Let me pray for us as we wrap up. God, thank you for the things that we can learn from a simple love story tucked away in the Old Testament. And thank you for the examples that we saw today of Ruth and Boaz, two people who, because you were good to them, because you were gracious to them, were people who were able to live uh, lives of generosity, who were able to lay down their lives for others. And thank you for, as we can look at that little love story now, we can see big picture what you did through them. We can see now that Jesus has come to this earth, that that's the ultimate story you are writing, that Jesus is here to step into broken places uh, like our lives and like so many we see around us and like this world around us. And so Jesus, help us to be a people, help us be a church that grabs onto you, that lets you be our savior to set us free from sin and then who blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others, that we can be agents of your redemption in this city and around the world. So God, help us not be a people who go bitter in adversity, uh, but to be a people who honestly cry out to you for help and cling to your promises and then watch you be good and true to us. You are amazing, God. Just unleash us as a people uh, today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.